Welcome to Aston Means Business, a new podcast from Aston Business School. My name's Steve Dyson. I'm a journalist who's interviewing some of the UK's top business academics every month here at Aston. Our second podcast is all about how to dismiss bad stuff. And I'm talking to Cathy Daniels, an associate professor who teaches here at Aston Business School. Cathy is an expert in employment law and employee relations. Before joining Aston, she worked as a head of HR in a large manufacturing organisation. Cathy also writes and speaks extensively about employment law and is a lay member of the Employment Tribunal sitting here in Birmingham. She'll be explaining what options businesses have when faced with poor, underperforming or inconsistent staff and how to go about removing such individuals from the workforce in a fair, reasonable and legal manner. Hello to you, Cathy. Hello. Cathy, tell us just a little bit about your own background, um, because you once headed that um, HR department in a large industrial business, didn't you? I did. Um, It was a very unionised organisation. It was a manufacturing business, so we had a lot of shop floor people, as well as the support staff. And when I first joined it, it was a very old-fashioned business. And a lot of the exciting things we did were about bringing it up to date and Mm. treating employees better than they'd been treated previously. Now, in in your wider experience, um, you, you of course, sit on employment tribunals. Mm. Now, I realise you won't be able to go into specifics of names, etc. But can Mm. you highlight a couple of examples of how and why businesses have failed in the way they've gone about disciplining or dismissing staff that they've fallen mm-hmm. out with or have no longer wanted? I think the most common thing that um, I notice is the lack of investigation. And sometimes that's an ignorance of not realising that you have actually got to go and check what's happened. But quite often it's anger. So you find an employee is underperforming, making the same mistake again, uh, maybe damage something, and so there's a, a, a financial cost in scrap, and the manager is angry. And of course they know what's happened because that's what's made them angry. So they dismiss without stepping back, thinking about what's happening, finding the facts, and then following a fair procedure. Processes is a big thing, isn't it? It is, yeah. very much, yes. You're now an associate professor here at Aston Business School, Mm -hmm. and uh, you're a renowned expert in employment law and and in employee relations. And one of your specialisms has been advising businesses how to dismiss underperforming employees. Mm -hmm. So in a nutshell, how can and how should businesses get rid of bad staff? The first thing is that that might not be the right question. So our first question should be, how can we improve what the staff are doing? Um, There is a point at which, of course, dismissal is the answer. But no employment tribunal will look favourably on an organisation that has rushed to dismiss. So the first question actually is, why is that employee underperforming? And it could be a conduct issue. It could be that the employee is deliberately underperforming, not caring about what they're doing, and that's one issue. It could be that the employee can't do it. It could be they've not been trained properly. It could be that they've actually been moved to a job which is outside of their level of skill and ability. And actually, that's a managerial fault because managers should not move employees into jobs where they're going to fail. So the first step of how do you dismiss is let's forget about dismissal, how do you improve the employee? 
It's when you can't, because either the employee won't improve or can't improve, that then we start talking about the processes we've just mentioned. Yeah, and let's go to those processes in a moment. Mm. So, I, first of all, just want to get it clear in my head, though. I mean, there are cases, aren't there? Um, pure misconduct cases, yes. um, fighting, stealing, yes. um, embezzlement. Yes. Uh, what, what are the basic disciplinary procedures, even then, mm-hmm. to get summary dismissals correct? Right, OK, so the situations you've um, given examples of there are most likely going to be gross misconduct. Um, and so conduct, legally, is split into misconduct and gross misconduct. And gross misconduct is a serious things where we don't have to be thinking about disciplinary warnings. We're going straight to dismissal. But what I said earlier still applies. That employee's been stealing, for example, and you know it's them. Are you sure? So the first thing is an investigation. And then we trigger the ACAS Code of Practice, disciplinary and grievance procedures, which we have to follow. So we write to the employee and we tell them about the allegation. We invite them to a disciplinary meeting, we then hold the meeting, and if we do decide to dismiss or impose any other sanction, they have the right of appeal. And I guess at all these stages, there's a, an element of having to keep records, isn't there? Oh, yes, yes. HR people always keep records of absolutely <laughs> everything. So there is a need to be writing to the employee because telling the employee is not enough because even if the employee knows they've done something really bad there's a lot of emotion flying Mm. around so it's very important to get it in writing so that the employee can read it through read it through again show it to a representative and and have that time to to really understand what the issues are and you you mentioned representative that's an important factor as well isn't it Mm. giving them the the right to be represented Mm -hmm. properly yes um all employees in a, a formal disciplinary situation have the legal right to representation and that is either by a colleague or a trade union representative if they're a member of a trade union. And so failing to do that could mean your uh, attempt to dismiss someone fails. Yes, it could do. It could mean that if you haven't told the employee of their right to have a representative, it's an unfair dismissal. Now, you talked about two different types of misconduct, um, Mm -hmm. and and we started with gross misconduct. Mm -hmm. Um, You also talked about just misconduct. So what's the difference? Yes. So gross misconduct is really bad things, and you gave examples of things like like stealing. Um, Misconduct is the things that are bad, but not as bad. So things, for example, like swearing. Hmm. Now, of course, that could be gross misconduct if you swore at a customer in retail that potentially could be gross misconduct. But swearing in the office might be something that we say is misconduct rather than gross misconduct. Or it could be not wearing the uniform Mm. in accordance with the proper rules. We wouldn't dismiss for that, but we would say that's not acceptable. And if the employee did not respond to being told that's not acceptable, we might be looking at disciplinary warnings. And just take us through disciplinary warnings as a, as a kind of section of this. Right, OK. So disciplinary warnings, interestingly, are not actually spelt out in law. But I referred earlier to the ACAS code, mm. and that is an essential guide. If you don't follow that, and an employee successfully claims unfair dismissal, their compensation can be increased by up to 25%. Right. So it's really important. And the ACAS code says that there should be at least two disciplinary warnings before dismissing, and they call them a formal written warning and a final written warning. 
Okay. And, and just for our listeners who perhaps haven't heard of ACAS, uh, what is ACAS and what does right. it do? So ACAS is a government-funded but an independent body that advises on matters relating to employment. So they advise both the employer and the employee, and they also conciliate, arbitrate and mediate. So people may be thinking, I have heard of ACAS, I'm not quite sure why. Um, If they've heard in the news about a a dispute where employees are on on strike, quite often ACAS comes in and helps with the uh, mediation in that situation. And it's a spoken acronym, of course. What what does it originally stand for? So it's the Advisory Conciliation and Arbitration Service. Okay, so all of those words themselves making sense to what's happening. Now, uh, the misconduct where you have to give warnings and you mm-hmm. have to give warnings mm-hmm. uh, in, in a way which follows those ACAS guidelines mm-hmm. uh, sounds sensible you know, mm-hmm. everyone wants to get that right but there are of course pitfalls of leniency as well aren't there and, and giving too many warnings or or perhaps um, giving final warnings which don't work how, how, yes. does, how does it go wrong yes so how does it go wrong there's a number of ways it could go wrong uh, first of all those warnings have a life and that means the period of time that they remain on your record and you've got to improve in that time and sustain that improvement. An ACAS recommend that the formal written has a six-month life and a final written a 12-month life. So one of the ways it can go wrong is to get the life wrong and so the warning has actually expired but the employer goes on and gives another warning. Now I say that but there was a case in Airbus where an employee had got a warning that had expired um, and then did something else that was pretty bad. He was actually caught watching the television instead of working and he was being paid to work. And um, he was dismissed and he said, that's unfair because my warning had expired. But they said that warning and the warnings he'd had, he'd had more than one, um, showed a general attitude that was very poor. And they were successful in arguing that. So employees can't necessarily get away with it by saying it's run out. Well, I do put a little bit of a health Mm. warning on the Airbus case. It shouldn't be uh, an excuse for managers to think, right, okay, it doesn't matter about the life. Mm. What I'm saying is you can have regard to the general attitude, but you do need to think about whether that warning has expired and whether the employee had actually improved. Okay. So perhaps if it was a, a one-off event and it yeah, had expired, yeah. you, you might have um, less reason to mm-hmm. um, to sack them straight away, yes. to dismiss yes. them straight away. But if it's on their record and it's every six months they're misbehaving, yes. you've got a bit more a yes. bit more chance of getting. Yes, yeah. And and you were reminding of my, my me of my days working in HR. One of the real frustrations we would have is giving a disciplinary warning for poor attendance, and the employee would be perfect for six months. Six months on a day, oh. and it would go back again. And, and so that's the sort of situation. Yeah, and you, you, you half answered this question, but how do you cope with it if people are doing that, if they're just waiting the time out and then carrying on as before? Mm-hmm. I know you said you might be able to use mm-hmm. that history as part of yes. your arguments, but are there any better ways of going about it? Not really. You'd be using that history, but also you'd be warning employees. So you'd be saying, look, you know, your warning has expired, but this pattern of behaviour is not acceptable and we will go to dismissal. Okay, so we've talked about misconduct Mm -hmm. and gross misconduct, Mm -hmm. but what about people who are consistently underperforming? How do you go about dismissing them? Right, so as I said earlier, our first question is why? Why are they underperforming? And if 
it's a matter of a lack of training, a lack of ability, then we've got to try and address that first before we're even thinking about discipline. But if that hasn't worked, then you'd give a disciplinary warning and you'd have to set very clear targets. So this is what is not acceptable. This is the standard we want you to achieve. And then you would set a date for review. And this would be within the life of, of the warning. But it wouldn't be right at the end of the warning. So you'd be saying, after three months, let's have another talk and see if you've improved. If the employee makes no improvement, you might at that stage go on to the next level of warning. Okay. Hopefully you're not there. In my experience, having given quite a lot of disciplinary warnings, you don't often need to go beyond the first one. Usually that's enough for the employee to think, I've got to improve, or the employee to think, I'm never going to improve, and maybe to leave the organisation. Okay, so you might actually prompt them to make yeah. their own decision. Yes. Is, is it um, ever the case that employers don't succeed because they set the target too high? So someone might feel they've improved, but the employer says, well, it's mm. not good enough. I mean, that, that, that doesn't sound very fair, does it? it? It's not fair. And if they ended up in the employment tribunal facing an unfair dismissal claim, the employment tribunal would be looking at how that standard had been set. So was it the standard that all other employees doing a similar job? were meeting if mm. so that might suggest it was reasonable or was it really unattainable and just a way to get to dismissal in which case the employment tribunal will not look favorably on it and by the same token i guess that uh, if an employee feels they're not reaching the target because they haven't been given the tools for the job or the training mm-hmm. for the job again it's not their fault is it it's not their fault and in the disciplinary meeting in the disciplinary hearing that would be when they would be saying to the employer i can't do it it's not possible and asking for training or just saying to the employer help me i don't know what to do and can the employee say i can't do this job i want to do a different job for you i mean where do they stand there in terms of saying the job i was employed for i can't do but i still want to work here they can definitely ask but they've got no right to have a different job and that would be totally up to the employer first of all is there a job available because of course they're not just going to create jobs Uh, but secondly do they want to give the employee the chance? Mm. What about when an employee's life changes? Now, I'm talking potentially about illness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't mean flu or a cold, yes. but perhaps serious illness. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. it might be cancer, for instance. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps someone's had a family event, they've had a child, and their responsibilities have changed, and therefore their ability to do the job have changed. How does a, an employee go about that kind of underperformance when it's an identifiable change in someone's life or or health. Mm. Can I take those two separately? Yeah. So let's take the health first. Um, an employer, if they've got somebody who's, say, underperforming or whose attendance isn't good, should always step back and say, is the employee ill? If they are disabled, as defined in the Equality Act 2010, and there's a very specific definition there, it's a physical or mental impairment, that has a substantial and long-term adverse effect on the ability to carry out normal day-to-day activities. If that describes what the employee is going through, then the employer is obliged to make reasonable adjustments to help the employee overcome the disadvantage faced from the disability. Now, when you talked about health just then, you mentioned cancer. Yes. Cancer, multiple sclerosis, 
and HIV and AIDS are covered as disabilities from the date of diagnosis, regardless of how severe their symptoms are. So if the employer is saying, I can't do the job because I'm not well enough, the employer would usually seek medical advice, so what can the employee do and what can't they do, and then from there would have to make adjustments to help the employee. Uh, and sticking on the health side of things for a yeah, moment yeah, then, yeah. how far can that go? Because uh, health situations can, can be quite complex. They can. They can affect people's mental health as well as their physical mm -hmm. health. Mm -hmm. um, they can have partial recoveries. They can have setbacks. How reasonable does an employer have to be? So it's back to this word reasonable, it's reasonable adjustments and what you would be doing is seeking medical advice and a good tip is always to go to a charity that deals with the particular issues. Okay. So you mentioned mental health, yes. Mind is a charity that deals with mental health uh, and they often have some really good ideas about the adjustments that could help employees so that's a really useful tip. But also there is this word reasonable. An employer is not required to keep making more and more and more adjustments. The employer has got to run a business and it's very sad some of the things that employees go through but there is that balance. So an employer might need to make some adjustments maybe to reduce the hours that mm -hmm. somebody works because they're not they're, they're struggling with full time. But if that doesn't work and reducing the hours further means the job just won't get done stops being a reasonable adjustment and that reasonable that reasonable adjustment then who would measure that in terms of a, an employer especially if a small firm when they have a certain amount of resource which has to get the job done uh -huh. uh, who, who decides when enough's enough and they have to get rid of someone right so what you'd be doing is you'd be seeking medical advice you're either going to refer the employee to occupational health if you've got access to that or you'd ask the employee for written permission to write to their doctor and get a medical view. So first of all, you address that medical view, you make the adjustments that might be suggested. Yes. If there is no more that you can do, you would then go through a dismissal process and it, it's really sad and hard to do when you've got a, an ill employee. You wouldn't go through disciplinary warnings, there's no point because uh, it's not a, a warning issue where, you know, please make yourself better. No. You can't do that. So you would be having an honest conversation with an employee that said, this is not sustainable. There's nothing else I can do. And you'd be going through a, a dismissal meeting. But again, you'd have to be able to show in case of follow-up claims and employment tribunals, you'd have to show that you went through all those processes. Absolutely. You'd have to record that. Yes. And you'd have to prove that you were being reasonable. Yes. Yes, you would have a record of the conversations you'd had, the medical information that you'd got, the decisions you'd taken. Let's move on then to the personal issues. Mm. Um, it may well be a close family member who's died, and, and how close someone is to different family members differs from family to family. But of course. It, it could be a grandparent, which meant a lot to someone. Mm -hmm. It could be their partner, a mm -hmm. child. Mm -hmm. um, there could be a divorce. Mm -hmm. what, what happens when someone's performance drops because of obvious family or close personal reasons? Mm -hmm. There you haven't got the same legal protection. So we've got the legal protection around the whole health area, but if you, say, were uh, undergoing a divorce or a bereavement, there isn't any law there to help. But to help who? To help? to help the employee. Okay. But we still have to act reasonably. So when somebody dismisses, an employer dismisses, the employment tribunal 
cannot rethink that. So they can't say, oh, I wouldn't have dismissed. Mm. All they can do is say, was it within the range of reasonable responses? Because okay. it's accepted one employer might be a bit harsher than another, but they've still got to act reasonably. So what would be reasonable? This employee is going through a really difficult time. It would be reasonable to give them a little bit more flexibility. But we're now six months on and mm. nothing has improved then maybe it is reasonable now to have initially an informal chat that says this is not acceptable, you've got to improve, and then maybe to start down the disciplinary process. It's very difficult to give guidelines because, as you say, everybody's different yes. and, for example, a bereavement could hit somebody very hard but not hit somebody else as hard. What can go wrong for the employer in those sensitive cases? Um, I think it's misjudging the situation, mostly, that you have an employee who is going through a very difficult time and the employer starts to think about, well, how would I be? Mm. You know, if it was my grandmother that had died, I'd be better in a fortnight. Yeah. And it's six months on and they're not better. So they're just being silly about it and trying to transpose how you would feel onto somebody else that's very different. And that, that brings me quite nicely onto what I wanted to discuss with you about the different sizes of companies and organisations. Mm -hmm. In a big corporate organisation, you've got a HR department, mm -hmm. probably with training and with a history of such experiences. Mm -hmm. and, and they, if they don't exactly know what to do in every situation, they certainly have some experience to bring to bear and to advise. Yeah. Whereas in a small manufacturing um, factory, a small place where perhaps they employ 10, Mm -hmm. or 12 mm -hmm. they've never had this happen before uh, how do they go about it when they haven't got that corporate resource the law doesn't have any small business exemption so they are treated in exactly the same way they have to meet exactly the same standards um, back to ACAS that's where an organization like ACAS is so helpful they run a free helpline for both employers and employees okay so really the employment tribunal doesn't have a lot of sympathy for ignorance no. because first of all you you have got ACAS but also with the internet nowadays you know as long as you can spell it's it free. you can put it in and it's, it's free, free access yes yeah. um, the difficulty of course is there's a lot of rubbish on the internet as well and sometimes <laughs> picking your way through what is is right is, is more difficult but the employment tribunal although they would not say okay you're a small business so you did it totally wrong don't worry about it they would have some regard. They tend to be harsher on the big businesses that really should get it right. Yeah, I mean, one of the words which keeps on coming out in, in our discussion um, is the word reasonable. Yes, yes, and it's a word that often makes me smile because as you work through all areas of employment law, reasonable keeps coming up. And the number of students that say to me, so what is reasonable? <laughs> and there is no definition. No. And of course, it depends on the situation. Mm. So as a, as a final summary of, of your top tips then on how to dismiss bad staff, what would you say? So my first top tip is don't ask the question how to dismiss first. Start with the question, how can we help the employee to improve? If having done whatever you've identified, it, it, the employee is still not performing, then make sure you follow the ACAS code of practice, disciplinary and grievance procedures, you act reasonably, back to that word, and that you're fair. 
and you listen to the employee and you understand what the problem is and as well as having to take tough decisions you're also thinking about how can I help and have as your end goal that the employee improves rather than thinking my end goal is to dismiss. That's, that's some good good advice there. And, and Cathy, thanks for taking the time to speak to Aston Means Business about those valuable insights on how to dismiss bad staff when, when one has to, when one's asked the questions that you say they need to be mm-hmm. aiming at to start with. That was the second in a series of 10 monthly podcasts here at Aston Business School where I'm interviewing some of the UK's top business academics. Our next podcast is due out on Tuesday, the 7th of January, and we'll be with Dr Vladislaw Rivkin, a lecturer at Aston Business School's work and organisation department. He's an expert in leadership, employee health and well-being, and we'll be exploring how having a happy and healthy staff can help companies and organisations to achieve greater success and higher profits. Aston Business School. It's not just business as usual. Why? Because Aston means business. Thanks for listening.